Hey, this is Angus Crookshank, and you're listening to the Future Sickos Podcast. Yeah, sick is pain, sick is deep, but you can cure a disease. Call the doctor, call an ambulance, but it's not for me. Where the sickos were despicable, and that's why we scream. Yes, ah, 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 yes. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner, college football season. To celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly, if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive the $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. What is up, Ottawa Senators fans, our listeners, Derek Lee? How are you doing today, Derek? Uh, Excellent. I was golfing this morning. The weather was beautiful, probably a little too hot. But uh, but other than that, uh, it was uh, it was terrific. I'm excited to uh, to sit here and chat more Ottawa Senators and, um, you know, probably speculate even more <laughs> than the last time, because there's just not a lot of news to talk about right now in the sort of midsummer. Uh, but how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I can't say that I was as fortunate as to gain onto the links, but at the same time, I was in a room with air conditioning for the better part of the day, grinding away in the work from home life. So I can't, uh, I, I can't complain too much, but I, I can't say that I hit back to back to back birdies like like your, yourself truly. And I mean, I know I'm money with that the kid stick with the with the little uh, <laughs> two two foot uh, fifty six wedge allegedly. But, uh, but yeah, unfortunately wasn't able to get on the course day, but yeah, yeah, I don't know how you did it. Like I went out on Saturday and like carted it and I, I was like <laughs> just asking the cart girl for ice or like went into the turn and asked for just a cup of ice and just wanted to like dunk it down my back. It just, it, it gets to be a lot in this heat. I, I feel for anyone that has to work outside and do intense labor right now or work in an environment where you're subject to heat. Cause it's, it's a lot. Oh, absolutely. We we actually went out. So uh, last night, my tea time was later on. It was at five o'clock. So by the time we were through probably about 10 holes, it started cooling down. Uh, so it wasn't too bad. And then I went out early this morning uh, once again. But yeah, three birdies in a row. That'll probably never happen again for me. I chipped in two in a row. Um, one of them hit the flag and went in. It was just one of those kind of special moments that will never, ever happen again. Cause I absolutely suck at golf, but, uh, but it was fun. Yeah. Hopefully you went home and bought yourself a lottery ticket. And honestly, man, I, I gotta say, I love the outfit today. You're kind of giving me Dwayne, the rock Johnson vibes big time with the, the black, uh, crew neck and the chain, but, um, loving the, the future sickos sketch. And I'm definitely going to have to have to get some of that lined up myself because, uh, you, you did a sweet job designing it. Just gotta, just gotta rep the brand, you know. And you, you can't even really see it on the show. I should have maybe put the label up a little higher. But my favorite part of the the outfit is actually the oh wrong side. It's actually the the senator's pin. <laughs> Show, shows that you're classy and and you know how to dress. So I I, I respect it. So kind of getting started here, we have some pretty exciting news coming out of the future sickos front. So our team is growing and we're growing in a bit of a different direction. So kind of trying to just give out more and more content and load up on content as the season is about to kick off. And as we get into it, we've been really blessed with the amount of support that we've received thus far. And we've been able to 
bring in some uh, some free agent signings since there's been a lack of news elsewhere. At least we can announce our signings here. So um, we want to welcome Phil, uh, TikTok Phil, send, sends Phil to the team. He is an exceptional talent. I, I really enjoy listening to his views on on everything that he has to say about the sends and he does it in a really creative way and in a fun way. And um, I, I don't know, I'm still figuring out the whole TikTok thing, but he definitely does a great job with it. So really happy to see what he he can bring and the dynamic that he's going to have working with Jack and us as well. And then I'm also excited to announce that Nathan, like NGP graphics has, has accepted a position of kind of offering any way he can with video editing, um, with, with providing us with any of his previous edits, any new edits that he's able to do um, in any capacity. And and that's pretty awesome. Obviously, it, it's it's difficult because that stuff takes so much time, but he is an exceptional talent at what he does. I, I think like watching every video that he's ever made has just got me so fired up. And um, if you're not following either of those guys on their social media, like definitely make sure to. We'll, we'll get their, their handles out there as well in the comments just to give check them out because uh we're, we're super excited that we're going to be able to take this in a bit of a different direction and make more quality content in other ways instead of just having to listen to our voices and look at our semi-atrocious faces exactly awesome uh, awesome introduction there brennan um and yeah we'll have to send them some uh, some merch some future sickos merch and uh and get them fully acquainted and uh, I, i'm excited to uh to see what uh, what they can do as, as part of our team. Um, without further ado, we got a lot of uh, fan questions. I kind of put this one out there because, well, basically because there is a lack of news. But uh, but I wanted to get this out there just to uh, to increase some of your engagement and get some of your questions um, out there. So we got a ton of feedback. We got a ton to uh, to get into. So. Uh, Let's get into the fan questions first. We are going to save them for the end, but because we got so many, we want to make sure we cover all of them. So uh, we're we're getting we're the ones getting interviewed today, which is which is pretty <laughs> a little little change of scenery. I feel like we're in stepbrothers right. here, and we're gonna we're flipping the roles around. We're we're gonna be the ones to ask you the questions. Um, one thing I do just want to say, Derek, just on a bit of a yeah. serious note, just before we do get into this, and um, just with the news of the passing of of Jimmy Hayes is. Um, exceptionally devastating obviously it's it's been a tough week with the three three kids out west in vancouver who um like vancouver area that um also passed away and we, we just really wanted to extend our thoughts to the hayes family the the kachuk family anyone who I, kind of like i was saying before is just feeling the wrath of this i know that um it, it seemed like jimmy was just such a great person in so many different aspects and just a fun loving person who who spread joy everywhere he went i know that a, a lot of people that uh, like had him around in their life just he he truly left an impression on him on them and in, in, in a great way so just really wanted to fully extend our, our condolences because it, uh it's just it's it's so hard to see and especially at such a young age yeah, well said, Brennan. Uh, I just second everything that you just said there. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, so yeah, without uh, without further ado, let's get into the fan questions. Uh, the first one comes in from Matt Ryan, and his question wasn't really laid out like a question, so I made it a question. It was just Kachuk. <laughs> that was uh, that was his question. My uh, my thought around that is that he's uh, obviously talking about Brady Kachuk's next contract, and I I thought we would weigh in. On some predictions, so uh, Brennan, 
Uh, throughout the lineup of questions, I'll get your take first, and then I'll, I'll bat clean up after I ask you the question. So uh, Brady Kachuk, contract predictions. I know there's some rumors uh, floating about about a six-year, $7 million contract or whatever. What do you think? Yeah, hopefully I can just get on base here if you're if you're batting cleanup. But yeah, I, I know it seems like it's from a real shoddy source. I don't know how much weight we want to put on hockey buzz in, in terms of insider knowledge. But um, the, the rumor deal is, I believe it was six years at seven million per, which personally, I think that that would be an incredible deal. I think I would be very happy with that. I think that that it would be a little bit longer than what I'm actually expecting Brady to sign for, because I truly think at this point he's looking for a bridge contact contract. I think that it makes the most sense for him, given the fact that if he signs a long-term contract right now, he's going to be like 31, 32 when that contract comes up and it's going to be difficult to double down on another long-term deal for a large amount of money. So I, I, Personally, think it's going to be something more in the range of four by seven, four years around seven million a year. I think that if we can get Brady in that seven million dollar a year, it, like bracket in that area, I think that that's a great deal for the Ottawa Senators. I wonder if it'll be looked at as an overpay around around the league. I'm curious to see what other fans and different things say I know when Shabbat signed his eight by eight we were pretty pretty stoked and pretty thrilled about it I think at least for the most part there might have been some reservations about it but it seemed like there were some people that that didn't know if he was quite worth that money and now it's kind of looking like a steal considering what some of these defensemen are getting so I, I think that if we could get Brady signed around seven mil that, that would be really awesome I would love to see as long as possible I, I just I think that four years is is realistic at this point and I'm gonna say it's it's gonna be four years at, at around seven maybe 7.25 per yeah I, I I like what you said I don't have a, a ton to add I think uh the interesting thing that you said is is the league perception of Brady Kachuk it's kind of all over the place and I think uh, part of that is because he's one of the most unique players in the league. I think he has, um, if you if you just look at the stat pack, I guess it, it's not going to sort of jump out as a player that's worth anywhere near seven, eight million dollars. But he's a player that does some really unique, interesting things. Like who else is going to lead the league in shots and hits both in both categories? Not too many players. I mean, and I don't even know if they're shots that he's taking. He's just sort of directing every bit of energy that he has toward the net. So it's not even really like he's genuinely shooting everything. I don't notice him going out of his way to take shots. I just notice him going out of his way to make everything sort of geared toward the front of the net. I think well, it's pretty. Or... Yeah. Sorry, go, go on. on. Sorry. No, I was just going to say like, it's, it's, it is incredibly impressive. Like if it wasn't for that lockout year a couple of years ago, he would have been the first player. Uh, like he was on pace to be the first player to record 300 shots and 300 hits in the same season, which is remarkable. Like if, if you're in a fantasy league where you're counting the, the extra stats, like the secondary stats, you take Brady Kachuk. I saw someone had him ranked in like 13th overall in a, in a, like hit their rankings and people were ripping him apart. And he's like, look, like say what you want, but like, and, and the other thing about him too, is that like the offensive production is only going to grow. Like, as he continues to play with with more skilled guys or as the guys that he plays with continue to be more skilled because that's kind of what we're looking at is these players are going to continue to develop and be able to convert more on, on chances and power plays are going to become more efficient and there's going to be more pucks going in the net and all of a sudden Brady Kachuk's 
the score sheet, like his his points on uh, the score sheet are going to just pile up. We're going to see him be a sixty to seventy point guy soon. So, so yeah, I'm I'm I think that that would be a tremendous value for him. And I, I it's hard because like he has all those intangibles and and those are valuable. And you know that that's something that gets discussed when when it comes in time, but. Um, yeah, I think if they can sign him, like even if it is only for four years at seven mil a year, I think by the end of that deal, like we're we're looking pretty good. That's that's great value. Yeah, he's Brady Kachuk basically encompasses everything that Ottawa is trying to be. So, I mean, when you think about the Ottawa Senators right now, you think about Brady Kachuk. I mean, he's the first player that comes to mind. He's the face of the franchise right now. He's going to be the captain, I think, regardless if he gets a bridge or a long-term contract. He's the captain of the, of the team. Everybody knows that. Um, if I had to predict his contract right now, it's say three years, six and a half million. I think he's he's a smart guy. Um, it makes a lot more financial sense for players like Brady Kachuk to sort of bet on themselves and take a bridge contract. Um, so with inflation, I, I really do see him taking a bridge contract and it's nothing against the player whatsoever. I don't think we have to love him any less. He's remember, he's still an RFA at the end of those three years. So, so there isn't a ton of risk involved. I'd be just as happy, uh, with a long-term contract, but, uh, realistically three years, six and a half million. That's where I see him. Uh, the next uh, question that I have comes in from Dr. Ferris, um, and it's uh, to do with the center position, fourth line center out of training camp, question mark. And he he lists three players, Ridley, Greg, Logan Brown, or Parker Kelly. And I just have a follow-up uh, with that as well. So how do you see the center ice position in general, right from one to four playing out, Brennan? But but we'll start with Dr. Ferris's question there, and then we'll get to the, the back half of that question. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Ferris, Ferris PhD. That's a, that's, it's a terrific question. I think that I, I am a huge Parker Kelly fan. And I think that DJ Smith is a big Parker Kelly fan. I think that everything that he has shown thus far is that he has that. I'm going to work my ass off to compete every shift. I'm going to get in team spaces. I'm going to try to score. I'm going to try, I'm going to give my all on whatever it is. I'm going to give my all. And I think that that is the epitome of what DJ Smith wants in a player. And that's the epitome of what we want on a fourth line center kind of role is just someone who works extremely hard. So for that role specifically, I just, I, I think that the edge has to go to Parker Kelly. With that being said though, I do think that Ridley Gregg could truly make this, make it difficult for the team to cut him this year. I think that if he shows up and he looks ready and he kind of has that feistiness and plays with that edge and competes every single night. And like, the thing is it's, he, he can play big. He's not a big guy, but he can play, get under guy skins. He can throw hits. He can be rough. And he also has a great set of hands and an ability to finish. So I, I think that the edge is going to Parker Kelly at this point, in my opinion, but I would say that, Really, Greg has that opportunity. And I think that if he were to slot in in a third or fourth line guy, I know that that's not ideal for a lot of prospects. We kind of saw that with Curtis Lazar. Maybe that wasn't the right move for him. But I I think that Ridley Greg is the kind of player that can succeed, whether he's in your top six or your bottom six. I think he's going to do well and maybe kind of move up. So I think that it's between the two of them. Now, with that being said as well, I, I know that you and I had a conversation about Logan Brown actually before recording, and we were kind of talking about, you know, like it, it seems like the writing's on the wall for Logan Brown. Maybe he's out of here. And 
I kind of just got thinking again and I was like, maybe, maybe not because in my opinion, it would be terrible asset management to just cut ties with Logan Brown right now, unless you're going to be getting a player who is in a similar situation that has a lot of potential and just needs to change the scenery. So if you're able to retrieve something where it's similar in value, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. But like, otherwise I could actually see Logan Brown maybe getting a chance with this team. And while he might not fit in to the future of the organization, maybe he kind of slots into a third line center role this year. Maybe he, he finally gets a shot at, at the big league and he kind of like show, raises his value at least, or kind of shows like lives up to a bit of his potential. So I guess to answer your bigger question of what I see the center position looking like this year, if we do not trade to acquire a center, which I still hope we do, and I'm still hopeful we are, we still got over a month before the season starts, and I think it's going to happen. I still believe that. If it doesn't, I think we're looking at Josh Norris as a first-line center, second-line center of... Shane Pinto, probably like, I I think the second and the third line are probably going to be fairly easy to switch. I could see them trying Colin white in that three center role, maybe, or Chris Tierney, depending on how it works out. And then I think that 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 fourth line center role has, has to be either Parker Parker Kelly or Ridley Gregg, but um, it could, it could just as easily be Chris Tierney as well. If, if the team hasn't moved on from him, maybe he's the fourth line center this year and, we, we go one more year of paying him over $4 million to play fourth line center or, or not play some games. I don't know. But as of right now, that's kind of what I see it starting the season as if we don't make any any big trades. I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not this year, but in the near future, if, if we do not go out and acquire a true number one or number two center, that Pinto makes that switch, that transition to center. I think if there's one guy on this team that can be a number one center, it's him. I, I think Josh Norris is a great one B. I don't know that I see him as a true number one, it, like top 10, top 15 offensive center in the league. I mean, defensively, definitely. And I do think that he can produce, but I, I think that Stutzel's that guy that could have that top line star power. And I know that Pierre Maguire has actually said in the past that he would have Stutzel play center. So yeah, I guess that that's kind of my opinion. And I think it's uh, a bit of a weak one because there's just so many question marks and I don't even know if the team knows. It might be something that gets figured out once training camp starts. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, along with with all of the things you said, I've actually constructed the center position a little bit differently, and I threw a little bit of a curveball in. Um, So um, Josh Norris is the number one center on this team. There's no question about that. But at number two center, um, I've actually got a line together of Stutzla with Nick Paul in the middle and Connor Brown on the right side. I, I just see Nick Paul as a player that I think people forget about. And he has a, he has capabilities of playing center. He has capabilities of winning faceoff. And I think if he gets more of an offensive uh, role, I think he can really break out this season. So uh, for me, he's a bit of a dark horse there. I don't think they're going to be comfortable just handing the keys to Shane Pinto. Um, and, and giving him that that opportunity out of the gate to play with Stutzla and Connor Brown. I do think over time, Shane Pinto is probably your number two center. Um, and, and I have Pinto as the number three center. So I do have him making the team. And my fourth line center is Chris Tierney that everyone already forgets about um, for good reason. He didn't have a very good season last year. And I think the senators were trying to get rid of him, but uh, ultimately ended up keeping him. 
Um, but I do have Parker Kelly making the team. I just have him on the fourth line uh, on the left side. So uh, I do think he's a DJ Smith guy, like you said. I think he's played enough in the American Hockey League. He has enough experience that if there's any of those American Hockey League guys that's going to make the transition this year, it's probably going to be Parker Kelly. So, uh, so to, to answer your question, Dr. Ferris, I, I really I don't think any of the guys you listed are going to be the fourth line center. I think that's going to be Chris Tierney. And a little bit of a dark horse to play center this year, Nick Paul. That's that's my answer for that one. Uh, the next question is coming in from Reg Adamson. Um, this one's kind of a fun one, Brennan. Uh, pick one of these. Um, they're all positive things. A new downtown arena, a new owner, or an eight-year team-friendly Brady Kachuk contract extension. Uh, which one are you taking and why? Yeah, I gotta go with the eight year extension. I mean, like, I, I, I just think that there's so much that rides on that. If there was an eight year team friendly extension for Brady Kachuk, there's just so much that we could build around. And I, I think that it would really restore a lot of faith in the organization from fans as well as the other players and prospects that are around. That's the kind of guy that people want to have on their team. They want to know that they're going to to play with an absolute warrior. And I mean, he's going to be one of the best in the league in being a warrior. So uh, I, I think that that would be what would put the largest smile on my face. I think that there's cases to be made for, for all of those things and everyone's definitely going to have their own opinions. I, I know that um, a downtown arena would, definitely be a, a lot of fun and it's something that i i do hope can work out i think that it's it's kind of integral to growth for this team and and for more financial stability i i think that it kind of needs to happen but but i think at, at the end of the day if they could lock brady up uh long term to a team-friendly deal that would be that would be everything i i, I could dream for and more you know what brennan the, the way i read this question i was trying to find an answer that kind of encompasses all three. And I think the answer is a new owner. I think if there was new ownership, would you not be looking at a new downtown arena and, and Brady Kachuk would probably be more inclined to sign an eight-year contract? I think for me, that's, uh, you know, that's probably the one that you could potentially get all three. So uh, to me, and depending on who that person is, because it's, it's also important to note that, you know, billionaires, um, they're, they're oftentimes not the most likable people. <laughs> um, they've probably stepped on a few toes to get to where they are. And, and that's a generalization. But um, for the most part, people with that much money, they've, uh, they've done something to get to the position they're in. So uh, to me, I would vote new owner because I just want to see them pony up some of this money. And I think the only way that that happens is with, a, with new ownership. Uh, prove me wrong, Eugene Melnick. Um, speaking of Eugene hey. Melnick, kind of. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say maybe Jeff Bezos buys the team and we become the first team to play on Mars. We could be we could say, be Mars Mars's hey, yeah. uh Mars's home team. Hey, that would be that would be Hold a great planet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on though. Yeah, no, just uh rolling into the next question because it, it does have to do with ownership a little bit. Um it comes in from uh, Spencer Blake. Everyone knows Spencer Blake on Twitter. So uh when Eugene Melnick said, and uh, and thank you to Paul, the real insider, Paul, um, who clarified this for us. But when Eugene Melnick said in May on Bob McCowan's podcast uh, that the Sens were looking for a top six forward and a top four D, do you think the Sens feel they address the top four defenseman part with Holden and Michael Delzato and ultimately consider that that box is ticked off? 
Yes, I do. I, I, I was thinking about this earlier today as well. And I, 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 well, it's funny. I was actually, I literally was already thinking about this. Was it yesterday or today? And I was like, okay, well, like what, what, like what is still out there? Like what kind of moves could they still want to be making? And I genuinely think that Nick Holden was the guy that, that when they brought him in, they were like, okay, we, we got this set up. I wonder how the Del's auto thing played out. I, I really do. And the reason why I say that is I remember looking at last season when kind of all those chips fell and Vancouver lost a lot of their promising guys, like a lot of guys that were integral to their team, Markstrom, Tanev, some other guys as well. And basically like what they said was, was that what was happening was there was these contract negotiations going on in free agency and other teams would weigh in and they were just a little late to the party or that there was these contracts that, that were offered. And by the time that they could match, a deal was already made. And I almost wonder if they pulled off the Nick Holden deal and Del Zotto came back and signed on and it was a bit of a surprise and they ended up doubling down and getting both of them and two guys that they wanted, but maybe they weren't necessarily expecting to land both. I'm not sure. And I, it's just a hunch for me, but, but that's, that was kind of my view on it. But anyways, I think that they do feel like they have, I think that they think that they have two guys that bring two different styles of play to the table that can play on either side. Both of them have in their careers. I think that Holden will play right D more than he plays left D this season. And I think that they wanted someone who was physical and they wanted someone who was big and they wanted someone that can box someone out, but that can play and, and is experienced and brings like all of those things that you love. Holden apparently is incredible in the community He's probably pretty great in the room from what I can tell about him. He seems to always be smiling. Players seem to love him. Fans seem to love him. Uh, I think that they feel like he's their guy in that that top four role because I, I think that they wanted a shutdown kind of player, and I, I think that Nick Holden's that. All right. I'm going to see things a lot differently than you, so I'm glad uh, this question came about. But I see, I think the Senators... Uh, acquiring Nick Holden was nothing more than they needed to take a player back in the Dadnov deal. Um, and that's how they got rid of that money. So to me, it was just more about the salary dump on that deal. And I think Holden is a, a player that has shown in the past that he's a capable um, kind of six, seven defenseman. He, he can play on the bottom pairing and maybe on this team, he can play up. Um, but to me, they probably check that box off more with Michael Delzato. And that is not my opinion. In my honest opinion, I would actually play Nick Holden higher up uh, in the lineup than Michael Delzato. But I think the Sens are quite high on Michael Delzato. I think that they believe that he can be a valuable two-way defenseman. I unfortunately believe that he's probably going to take the spot that uh, I had slotted for Eric Brandstrom this season. Um, I feel that he's going to play with Zub. And I think that Michael Delzato is, in fact, the uh, top four defenseman that I don't know if he was the defenseman they were looking for. But um, the interesting thing about this whole quote is that, you know, Eugene Melnick's idea of a top six forward and a top four defenseman is probably just someone super cheap. So uh, <laughs> to be honest, Spencer, I, I think in their minds, I think they they consider that box checked in my mind. Uh, they've actually taken a step backwards because I would much rather see Eric Brandstrom get the opportunity and some of the younger players get the opportunity. Where does this leave Victor Mete if Brandstrom has a good camp? 
Um, I don't know that. So uh, to answer your question, the box is checked. <laughs> and coming up next, we have, let me find my questions again. Uh, from Fiesta Lord, in what order will the remaining pieces of the Sens offseason fall into place? It feels like a dam is waiting to burst, and I'm curious to know which piece is going to break through first. So what's going to happen next, chronologically, Brennan? Uh, what's What do you think is due to happen first? I think that the Drake Batherson contract's the easier of, of the contracts that are waiting and I almost wonder if Brady Kachuk is waiting to see what trade falls through because it, it does just seem like there is some pending trade for a top six center at this point. And, and whether that's relying on the Jack Eichel trip to fall, whether that's Jack Eichel himself, probably not, but I love to dream about it. Um, wh whatever that is, I, I think Brady seems to be, he's, he's, Holding out, he's being a little more patient. I think he has more leverage than Drake Batherson does as well. And because of that, I, I don't think that he, he's necessarily going to rush to a deal. So I think that the first chip to fall is Drake Batherson. Um, I think if a trade happens, it will happen potentially before Brady Kachuk signs. And then I think if if a trade does go through and it's for for really quality uh, top top six center, then I could see... Brady, uh, Brady picking up the pen and being like, let's go, baby. We're ready. We're ready to play some hockey. So that that's, that's my opinion. Um, but, but I think that the Drake Batherson contract signs gets, gets signed first. And I'm going to take the complete cop out route on this one. And I'm going to say that, uh, Gustafson is the first, uh, chip to fall because in my mind, that's even easier than that contract. I think his contract is going to be pretty simple. It's probably going to be a two year contract. The first year is going to be a two-way contract in which we'll see him take uh, ownership of the net in Belleville. And I think it's going to have a contract in which the second season has a one-way deal on it where he's up uh, playing in the NHL alongside Matt Murray. So I'm going to completely cop out. I hate doing it, but uh, I think Gustafson is the easiest contract out, out of the three. And there's also Logan Brown that people don't talk about as well. Um, but out of those contracts, I, I see Gustafson as the easiest contract to get done. So I'm going to take that cop out for that question. Uh, moving on, Fawn TTV writes in, how about your thoughts on Sokolov and if he could make the team this year? Personally, I think he can make the team come opening night, but that is if we don't make any moves. But as of right now, I think he could and should be on the opening night roster. Um, so just a reminder, Sokolov in 35 games played last season in Belleville. He had 15 goals, 10 assists, and was a minus 13. What is your take on the Shark, Sokolov? Love the guy. Love the personality. I think he needs one more year in Belleville, personally. I, I think that, and, and you know what? Maybe he is going to be NHL ready, and that could definitely be it. But I also think that the Sens want to be patient with, with their prospects and with the guys who are playing in Belleville. I know that that was something that Dorian spoke about when he came onto our show is that uh, Josh Norris probably could have come up and played with the big club earlier than he did, but it, it's better for him to kind of dominate at that level and, and really get the chance to dominate in, in pro hockey. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Sokolov comes to camp and, and makes a very good case for himself. With that being said, though, I do think that the right, the two, like our top two right wing positions, at least, or our top two right wings on the depth chart are Drake Batherson 
and Connor Brown. And I can't see him hopping over either of those guys. And then I think we kind of end up in this weird position of is, is Colin White going to play right wing? Is he a center? And if he's a right winger, he's probably that third line right wing. And I just don't really think Sokolov fits on that fourth line yet. Um, he doesn't really have that defensive pr- prowess. He, he is a scoring winger and I think he could really emerge as something special, but I think that him and your might, might spend a bit of time just kind of really like get mastering their craft in that, in that AHL level and truly becoming like dominant scorers down there. And then w- when, uh, when the kettle's running hot, maybe they can hop up first in, in, in the NHL soccer off this season. And then your maybe in a, in a couple of years for us. Yeah, there's there's really not a whole lot more I have to add because I agree wholeheartedly with with everything you said there. I think I think we will see Sokolov this year. I think he's going to get some NHL games this year, but barring any trade or major injury, I don't see him on the opening night roster. He would have to make an incredible impression at at training camp and like you said, he's not really a bottom six guy he's if he's on your team it's probably more in a top six maybe top nine capacity a guy that sort of uh, adds to your power play as well Uh, so I do think he's probably going to continue working on his game and working hard on his game and taking on a prominent role in Belleville this year so that's uh, that's where I see him primarily but I do think we will see Sokolov at the NHL level at some point this season so uh, thanks for that question uh, next up, we have Solomon Gursky. Cool name alert, um, by the way. Um, but uh, opening night D pre- uh, predictions. Who's in and who's out, Brennan? This is a tough one. This 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 is a hard one. This like is. like gen- genuinely. Um, but but here here's how I see it. I genuinely would be shocked if DJ Smith if. Pierre Doran did not notice how dominant Eric Brandstrom was for the last bit of, of the season to, to roll out the season. I, I think that they, they had to have seen that and they saw that he was really kind of coming into his own. And I think that he has to be on that, on that roster. So here is my prediction. It, it, this is, this is what I'm going to go with. And I'm going to say, we'll start with Thomas Shabbat. We're going to go Nikita Zaitsev on that right side. And then I think we're going to see, I'm, I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, we're going to see that Eric Brandstrom and Artyom Zub pairing. I, I'm truly hopeful for it. And then I would love to see a Victor Mate and a Holden D's, you know what, as <laughs> holding that holding that, blow, that blue line um, as our third pairing. So that that is my prediction. I think that Mate and Brandstrom are, are going to come out flying. They're, they're going to be hard to kind of say no to until they are given a reason to not play, um, especially if they're as dominant as they were and were as mobile as we were last year to kind of roll out that, that end of that season. I think that Holden and Mate would be an awesome pairing. I think it would be a bit of an upgrade from Josh Brown. And then, yeah, I, just, I can't see Zaitsev or Zub not being in the lineup. I, I think that Zaitsev has a special place in in DJ Smith's hearts. And I mean, Zub has a special place in all of our hearts. So I, I think uh, 
that, that that's what I'm looking at as an optim op, like being optimistic. Um, but but Del Zotto is definitely getting some reps, and um, Mete is probably the likely one to come out for Del Zotto to go in. Uh, but honestly, Brandstrom very well could as well. And I mean, Brandstrom might not even be a senator by the time the season rolls around. So we'll see. That that's subject to change. All right, and and you gave the optimistic viewpoint, so I'll give the. I don't know if it's pessimistic, but it, to me, it's a, it's a realistic viewpoint. I look at, you know, contractually, I look at how much they're paying Delzato. I don't see them paying him that much money to sit out. I, I think they're paying him, you know, what they're paying him because they firmly believe that he's going to be inside the top four this year. Unfortunately, I honestly see Brandstrom as the guy out to start the season. He's on a two-way contract. And unless you're willing to carry two extra defensemen, barring any injury, of course, then Brandstrom's the guy out here. And, and I see Shabbat Zaitsev on the first pairing, Michael Delzato, Artem Zub on the second pairing, uh, Victor Mete and Josh Brown. I think DJ Smith really loved um, what that pairing did at the end of last season. I think he keeps them together. I think Holden, as I mentioned earlier, I think Holden was just a, a player that's coming back um, because they got rid of Dadnov. So I think he's, he's going to be the depth guy this season. Um, he will get playing time, of course. Uh, but for the opening night, that's how I see it. And it, to me, it would be hilarious because that would mean that Belleville's first D pairing would be Eric Brandstrom and Jacob Bernard Docker. I mean, you could make an argument that that's a better D pairing than any of the NHL D pairings that I just listed to you guys. So, so to me, I mean, that would be, it would almost be hilarious, but, uh, but in a really bad way. <laughs> Now, just, just to add to that, Derek, um, it, it's like it, you're you're spot on. Like, I mean, if we're being realistic, it is a very realistic situation. But something else that that I am curious of is how much Ottawa really wants to utilize Belleville this year. And I, I feel like just given kind of what Dorian said when he was on the show as well, I know that we go back to it a lot for a lot of different things. But with him talking about how there's guys that need that, that should be in Belleville and can continue to develop their game in Belleville and then come up, even if they are NHL ready. Like I do just wonder if, if they see Brandstrom just dominating on that, that first pairing again, even if it's only for like 10 games and then coming back up while, while he's his uh, wheels are flying. But I don't know. I'm optimistic. I think he, he comes to play at training camp and they're and and their hands are tied. That that's, that's my hope. But I, I mean, if if it is Brandstrom and Bernard Docker as that first pairing in Belleville, I'm going to be watching every game. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, and the last fan-generated question before we get into some of our other stuff, if we have time. We will have time. Uh, 613JMC. Um, I don't know if that's your actual name. That's how it's, it's written down. Um, gives us a little of a, a forward futuristic look. The season is 2022-2023. Who currently in the Sens organization will be the mainstays as the top four defensemen? So the category is still defensemen. However, we're advancing to, uh, to the next season. So uh, give us your top four in the future, Brennan. So if we're looking at next season, like yep. is it just next season or two years? If we're looking at next season, I think Zaitsev's still in it because he's still on that contract. And I don't see the team getting rid of him while he's on that contract. Like I said, I, I genuinely think that DJ Smith really likes Zaitsev from having him in Toronto. 
And I think that he continues to be on the team. So I would say that next year, given Jake Sanderson's development, I could totally see a top four of Thomas Shabbat, Artem Zub, Eric Branstrom, Jake Sanderson. If I was being extremely optimistic, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that next year it'll be Thomas Shabbat, Zaitsev, and then probably Sanderson and Zub, I think would be the, the more realistic option. But I think if we're if we're looking into the future, um, best case scenario, that would be my prediction. I honestly don't know if Eric Brandstrom's gonna be here two or three years from now. Um, but but I, I I know also on our account, if anyone's interested in seeing, I, I kind of tried to give a couple year down the line um snippet of of what our team could look like salary wise. Obviously it's extremely rough because given performance, any player could make more like 1.5 million more or $1.5 million less. The point of it was more so that all of these players could be on the team. We, we have the money to afford them. And I genuinely do think that it, it would be a close, like a playoff contender. And, and, and we would be there if, if they all panned out. And I mean, down the road, Really far down the road, at least, I could see a Shabbat, Zub, um, Brandstrom, Sanderson top four in, in my wildest dreams. But, but let's hear what you have to say, Derek. Yeah, similar. I mean, it, it's not far off. Um, I do see them moving Zaitsev down the lineup, so I don't think he's going to be in the top four in 2022-2023. So uh, opening night roster for that year, and I don't have Brandstrom on the team whatsoever. I would have Shabbat and JBD. I think JBD will be ready for for primary minutes at that spot, and uh, and then I would have Sanderson and Zub. So uh, a little bit different. Um, I do think, uh, as I uh, I just wrote a piece about this on Six One Three Sports. If you want to check it out, but uh, uh, thank you to them for for giving the platform to uh, to write something down. But I do see Brandstrom um, as as the odd man out here. I, I don't think he's going to be in the picture down the road. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, I think like with that being said, none of us want to see Brandstrom go. Like not, none of us, like I I think Derek and I are, at least I know myself and I, I do believe you as well are are huge fans of Eric Brandstrom. Um, and we, we don't want to see him getting moved. We definitely don't want to see him getting moved for less than what he's worth, especially um, with, with that Mark Stone piece. And it's not that we overvalue him based on the fact that we got him back for Mark Stone, but I know like as soon as I first saw him in the world juniors wearing that C for Sweden and scoring four goals, I, the, the, the kid is something special. And I genuinely believe he turns in into a very good quality top four offensive defenseman who can put up more than 50 points in the NHL on any given season. So I, I don't think that when we talk about moving Eric Brandstrom, we want to see him gone. It's just one of those things where it's hard to see his fit in Ottawa. If he is a, third pairing defenseman because he he's better than that and he deserves to get more money than that and it it wouldn't really be the most logical choice yeah i mean uh, i i said in the piece if you're going to trade him if you don't see him as a top four defenseman or you're not willing to move him over to the right side which would enable him to be a top four defenseman on this team because you have shabbat and you have sanderson uh, coming up, then I'm not opposed to trading Brandstrom. You just have to be extremely careful with who the player coming back is. It, it would have to be 
someone young enough to to compete with this core when it matters most down the road. Um, and you, you, in my mind, you want to maximize his value. So to me, it, it would be smarter to use Brandstrom this season in a top four role alongside Artem Zub. You know he's going to produce there. And then you could sell him as a genuine top four defenseman instead of selling him as a projected top four defenseman. When you when you remove the label of a projected player, you add a whole lot more value. So to me, if you want to maximize his value, that's what I would do. Uh, personally, I'm not super opposed to trading him for the right player up front because I do think there are greater needs that can be addressed if you're planning on using Brandstrom on your third line anyway. So uh, to me, it would make sense to move on from him, but but you have to be really careful about how you how you do so. And it kind of leads us into our next category, Brennan, because uh, the next thing I wanted to discuss with you is breakout candidates. And, and I know who I'm taking for breakout candidates, and it, it's the player we're just talking about. But, uh, but I wonder if you have someone different. Uh, 2021 Senators breakout candidate for you. Yeah, so my well, I guess I, I have two breakout candidates this year, and the first one is is probably a pretty predictable one. But I think that Timmy Stutzel does the opposite of a sophomore slump, and I think that he comes out and and has a sixty point season. Um, genuinely, like I think that he ends the season as in a threat on an almost every night basis. I don't think that he was far away from it last year. I think that he had glimpses where he looked dangerous in almost every game. And I think that he has an incredible work ethic. I don't think, I know he has an incredible work ethic. And I, I think that he truly comes to play. The amount of jumps that he's been able to make every year, the way that he was able to jump into the Dell and dominate in that league, what he did when he was 18 years old is just incredible. For him to do what he did the next year at the World Juniors and for him to make the NHL be a, like, Honestly, be a better player than Alexi Lafreniere was and do what he did in in his sample size as a rookie. I, I think that it's not out of the question that he breaks out and we start to see glimpses of, okay, like, well, we already saw glimpses of what he can do on a given night, but we can start to see him kind of be a contributor way more often. Um, so he's, he's my number one breakout candidate. Number two is Alex Formanton. I think that Alex Formanton is set to really make some big strides literally and physically this year. He is an incredible skater. He was potentially our best like penalty killer down the stretch last year. And I think that we continue to see how good he is defensively, but I think that if he can finish on more of his, uh, it seems like he gets a breakaway every game. So if he can finish on even half of those and, and kind of work on those skills, I, I think that he could show off that he can be a top six player on this team. And I think with the arrival of that what would mean that Tim Stutzel can make that switch to center e even quicker because um, so, so yeah, I, th those are my two guys. Obviously Josh Doris is up there, but I, I think he like him and Batherson almost had breakout seasons last year. So it's kind of tough to, to drop those names, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll turn that question back to you. Yeah, there's there's so many candidates. I think on a young up and coming team, like you said, you could rhyme off like, five or six names and they're all realistically good candidates. I agree with you on Stutzla for sure. I think 60 points is attainable for a player like Tim Stutzla with that. You know, the, the underlying numbers will probably tell you something different. Um, but just, just watching him play. I mean, all you have to do is watch maybe five games and you'll come away knowing just how out of this worldly skilled Tim, Tim Stutzla is he he's insane. The, the things he could do, 
it takes you out of your seat. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. I don't think 60 points is, is out of reach for Stutzler this season. I could see him 30 goals, 30 assists, 60 points. Um, I think that would be that would be within his his repertoire already, uh, which is crazy for a 19-year-old. Uh, my breakout candidate, I already dropped the bomb on that. It, it's Eric Brandstrom. I guess the caveat is that I didn't have him in my opening night roster. Um, I do think eventually he works his way out of the American Hockey League. Um, can you consider a guy who's going to play probably, you know, half the season, maybe 40 plus games, a breakout candidate? I do think that because I think he's a player capable of putting up probably like 25 to 30 points in those 40 games. I see that as a breakout personally. That's a big enough sample for me. He's my breakout player uh, this year. And the next question I had for you is dark horse player. So who's your sort of dark horse? People aren't talking about him enough. Um, who's going to have a, a good season? Doesn't necessarily have to be a, a world beating season, but who's going to have a good season this year as a dark horse player? It's a tough question because I think that there's a lot of hype surrounding a lot of a lot of the players for Ottawa. I mean, like I would love to just say like Connor Brown, but it seems like Connor Brown just consistently has good seasons inside and out, even though he just doesn't get spoken about enough. I would say Ar Artem Zoo, but he seems to be getting all the love that he deserves on Twitter and more. Um, so you know, like maybe I'll change it up a bit. I'll go with Philip Gustafson. Um, I, I genuinely think that Gus is the real deal. He's extremely technical. He seems to never be out of position. He's very fun to watch. Um, but I also think that Matt Murray could be that guy. And I think that a lot of fans are kind of forgetting about him as we move forward, but we have him for another three years. And he really came into his own before getting injured at the end of last season. So I would say it's between like those two guys, I would say as a dark horse, I think that goaltending makes massive strides forward this year for the team. I think that with the hiring of the new goaltending coach for Matt Murray, he really seemed to kind of start to find his game. And I think that he could be that dark horse. And I think that Philip Gustafson could be the guy that pushes them because I think he could make strides and really play his way in there. And I mean, we're not even talking about um, our, our, our Forsberg option there, who realistically is probably the backup because Austin probably isn't even the backup this year. So um, I guess those would be my dark horses. I'll go with Matt Murray just because he's guaranteed to play. Um, but uh, but I, I think Gus is definitely going to get some reps. Love it, Brennan. I, I think the Senators need Matt Murray to be the guy too. So, so that's a, an important piece. They really need stability and net uh, if they hope to take a step forward. Um, my dark horse player, I already kind of tipped my hand on this earlier, uh, but uh, Nick Paul is my guy. Um, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned, I think if the if the roster is sort of set and we're going into the season, and that's what this, this preview is based on this roster that we see right now, not based on, you know, some trade that we can't predict. So if we're going into the season with what we see, I do think Nick Paul is going to get more of a prominent offensive role. For that reason, I think he's capable of producing a lot more than people see him producing. Um, and if he's playing with Stutzla and Brown, like I, I suggested, using him in the center of the ice, uh, at least to start the year, I think he's going to get a lot more opportunity. I think he'll get second power play uh, minutes that he didn't really see before, um, and, and he'll just get a lot more ice time. And I think with ice time for a player like Nick Paul, he's a power forward. He wins a ton of puck battles. Um, he has underrated hands, uh, very good size. He worked on his foot speed. I, I do see him as a player 
that for me is a bit of a dark horse. People sleep on him a little bit. Of course, he had that game-winning goal at the World Championship, and he has great chemistry with Connor Brown. Uh, for me, he's he's the dark horse player that I like the best. Um, yeah, I know he has an extremely underrated shot too. So if Timmy Stutzel uh, utilizes his playmaking ability to Nick Paul might be the guy who, as of right now, at least is, is has that NHL ready shot. It does seem like Batherson, uh, Norris and Kachuk is probably the first line going into this year. And w- with that being the setup, because I do think that Drake has an incredible shot. Norris does as well. But um, if that's the way that they end up rolling it out, then I think that that would be an awesome option. For sure. Um, so uh, which theory do you subscribe to here? So to finish off the season, we've talked about this before, the Senators in their finer, final 12 games, uh, they went 9-2-1. and one. Um, Is this either a sign of things to come or was this more a team playing with no pressure or expectations? No, I think this is a, a sign of things to come. Like you look at teams and you look at you look at teams that have been together for a long time and they take a while to mesh. Like it, it, it's very rare that you can just manufacture a team and all of a sudden they're going to have chemistry and they're going to be able to play well and you throw them under a coach and they perform. It, t- it takes a lot of time. You look at Colorado, see how terrible Colorado was. And then within one season, they flipped it around and everything started to fly and, and really came to terms after Matt Duchesne left. But with, with that being said, like I genuinely think that this is a team that showed what they're capable of doing when they play DJ Smith's system. I think that that final stretch is what bought DJ Smith his extension. I think that he showed what he's able to do with this team. And I think that if they continue to play that kind of hockey and everyone kind of plays their games, I, I think that it's realistic that they compete this year. Like I, I genuinely do. I think that they need a few more pieces to kind of push them over the top. I, I, I think that there's always regression in these things. Success is never a straight line. And I don't expect this team to come out of the gate next year and just be as a, a top team in the league like they were to finish the season. I, I don't think that they're that high, but I think that they definitely could finish well over 500. And I think that they can make a push. And I think that that just goes to show that they are capable. They might need a couple more pieces to kind of push them over, but but they are capable to compete. Yeah, the way I look at it, um, it, it's written on this team's face. I mean, you you look at the players at the top, Tim Stutzla. I mean, you might say he's confident. Some people say he's even cocky, but he's a player that, to me, encompasses what this team is. And it's a confident, fun-loving team, and and Brady Kachuk as well. And, you know, all the guys at the top, Josh Norris, they're just having a lot of fun out there. And I see a team that is right on the cusp of really – making things happen. I don't think they're there yet. So I think, you know, I'm going to take the line that that exists sort of in the middle of those two worlds, um, because I think it's, it's much easier to play in a fun loving sort of way with no expectations on you and no hopes of even making the playoffs um, and, and absolutely no pressure at all. But at the same time, of course, it's a sign of things to come. I mean, how can you not know that the, the senators are, are they're an upcoming team? I mean, they have some real serious talent now and and we're going to start to see some of that talent into fruition. I I think the biggest question that remains is where, where does this thing plateau? You know, is it right at the top? Is this going to be a team that truly, truly contends every year and they're right at the top of the Atlantic and the Eastern conference, 
or are they going to plateau somewhere in that middle mushy middle ground where you don't want to be? Um, and I think that's the, the bigger question heading into the seasons to come. And I don't think it's going to be answered this season. Uh, I think all we have to do this season, again, is take a step forward, another step forward. Um, but my my answer is sort of in the middle ground there. Um, for the numbers um, that matter from last season, Brennan, uh, here's some some scary numbers I'll throw at you and, and, and we'll get your take on it. Uh, special teams, let's start with special teams. Power play percentage last season, um, it was 15.5%, good enough for 27th in the league. And the PK last season was 79%, good enough for 20th in the league. How can the Senators improve their special teams this season? And do you see them improving their special teams this season, starting with the power play? We'll go down with the the famous Allen Iverson quote, practice? We talking about practice? (laughs) That is all it is going to take. I genuinely believe that. I think that these players are developing. They're continuing to get better. They're going to continue to see their point production crawl up every single year. But I think that the biggest thing on any power play is chemistry. You need to know where these guys are. You need to be able to set these plays up. You watch Tampa Bay's power play, the rate at which the passes fly off of their stick and the rate at which everyone is expecting them and always moving and knowing how to get into position And that takes time. That's not something that you just learn. That is John Cooper blowing his whistle, yelling his lawyer shit at these guys, telling them to move on, keep on going, and apply themselves. And I genuinely think that Ottawa can get there. I think that they have the skill. I don't know that they're going to be top 10. I think that it's possible that they could be top 15. And I mean, maybe they do need to add one more key star player to be able to really push them over that top. But I think you have Brady Kachuk. In, in front of the net, you have Tim Stutzel on that half wall. You have Eric Brandstrom or Thomas Shabbat anchoring that power play. And you have maybe Drake Batherson firing off his shot or, I don't know, potentially someone else that they're maybe able to bring in with, with a solid one-timer. And that's a dangerous power play. That, that's a power play that just needs more and more reps until they're finally at a rate that they're able to convert at. The penalty kill is an interesting one. I think that they have a lot of guys that can do a lot of good work there. I think that Formington it, it can really show up and, and turn into a really good quality penalty killer. And I think Austin Watson's shown that he's ready to take a puck just about anywhere to be able to kill power plays. So, or like, to, yeah. So I, I, I think that it's going to depend on their D getting mobile, big D that can, in playing the right guys in those positions. But again, practice on both those units. And I, I think that we can see drastic improvements, even with the guys that we have right now. Yeah, I think as the season went on, the power play got better. I think uh, the biggest problem that I had with the power play was the zone entries. Um, actually, two things, zone entries and face-offs. I think that was the two biggest problems. Zone entries, it just wasn't happening. Um, but to start the power play, they were losing every face-off, so the puck was already heading back um, the other direction. They have the firepower now. I, I don't even think, even without adding anyone, you, you've got that top unit that, to me, is is probably worthy of a top 10 power play. They really do genuinely have um, that firepower, that amount of fire firepower on that number one power play unit. They need to figure it out. Like you said, they need enough reps to sort of know where each other, um, where each other are and and what their strengths are specifically. And that's just going to come with reps. And I think in time, the senators will have a top 10 power play. I think that that's a given. Uh, The PK, I'm not as worried about. It was 20th overall last season. And keeping in mind that they got off to an absolute horrible start, 
and the personnel really changed over time. They were using Cedric Paquette a lot on the PK. Obviously, now we've got Nick Paul, Connor Brown, Colin White, Alex Formanton. We have pretty um, pretty stout um, penalty killers now. Um, so I expect both special teams units to drastically improve this season. Um, and before we go, we have a, a one minute left. Goals for last season, 155. Uh, not bad at all. It was 19th. So again, horrible start to the year, increased as the year went on, like everything else. The biggest problem with this team from last year that I don't know if they could fix this year is goals against. It ranked 28th in the league. It was pathetic. They let in 189 goals. Your last and final take, go ahead. I think it comes down to goaltending for goals against. And I think that we're going to see drastic improvements in, in that regard. Um, I, I think that Matt Murray has a bounce back year. Like I, I think that he showed flashes of it last year. And I genuinely think that that he's going to be able to do it. And uh, I, I think that Gus is the real deal as well. And perfect. That's a wrap.